Good evening. A Puritan's Mind brings you the Wild Boar News Podcast from sunny South Florida. Welcome. I'm Dr. Matthew McMahon. Ministers never worship, so some say. They are never the recipients of their message and are not led, but lead in the congregation. This, however, is grossly inaccurate. Scripture states in Nehemiah 8.4, And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. The minister who preaches is ministering to saints and sinners, those needing encouragement and edification, and those needing conversion. The hearers listen, are ministered to through Christ's effectuating His word as it is preached. And obviously this ministry is effectual if gospel doctrine is preached. It is often observed that those who hear the sermon are present in worship as they listen, and this is completely true. The privilege given to the hearer is to receive the words spoken as the oracles of God. But what can we say of the preacher? Is he simply ministering? Is the pulpit only a vehicle for God to minister to the saints in the pew? Or is there a dimension of worship for the minister in the pulpit? Is preaching worship? Any true minister of the gospel would shout with a resounding amen to the unavoidable fact that gospel preachers enter into a dimension of worship from the time they set their eyes upon the pulpit, and obviously arguably sooner, to the time they retire from the pulpit, and arguably later. The preacher, as he works through his sermon in the place of the pulpit, is worshiping while in the act of preaching we must ask and answer an elementary question before proceeding. Is the pulpit, then, important? Does the Bible say anything about the pulpit? Charles Spurgeon, in the church he ministered at Park Street, had a wooden pulpit, but at the Metropolitan Tabernacle he had no pulpit. Does this mean that in one place he, as a minister preaching the gospel, worshipped, in another he did not? Certainly not. The absence or appearance of a physical pulpit does not determine whether a preacher is worshipping or not worshipping. Peter in Acts chapter 2 did not have a pulpit. Through the Gospels we do not find Christ using a pulpit, and most of the prophets did not use one. A physical pulpit merely makes the experience of worship easier for the preacher and less distracting for the hearers. Nehemiah 8, verses 3 through 5 says, He, that is Ezra, read from it, that is the law, before the square which was in front of the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of men and women, those who could understand. And all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium, which they had made for the purpose. Ezra was seen behind the pulpit, which probably covered most of his body, and the pulpit was used to hold the scrolls he was reading to the people. There was a focal point for the hearers, that was Ezra behind the wooden pulpit, and there was a remedy for distractions. The pulpit shielded him. They were not focused on what he was wearing or if he was dressed well. There was also an aid for preaching. It held the scrolls and possibly other parchments he had. Physical pulpits are useful, but the act of preaching in that pulpit is what holds our concerns today. The pulpit is that sanctuary where a truly called minister of the gospel exercises his God-given giftedness to the aim of glorifying Christ. In the act of preaching, this glorifying of Christ is the essence of his worship, 
though at the same time his gospel preaching ministers to needful people. It is here that the preacher's feet bring the good news of the gospel of peace, and while he is doing this, he acts as God's divinely appointed herald, reflecting the image of Christ as the living word in the message he brings. The preacher ought to be exceedingly gripped with the sense that he is delivering Christ to the people through his preaching. If he is intellectually or emotionally enthralled with a sense of this, then he is often conscious of the nearness of God around the words of God as they are preached. This nearness and mode that the preacher travels through is the exact definition that God himself gives those who worship him. I will be sanctified by those that draw near to me. Leviticus 10.3 Though this passage describes the unhappy death of Aaron's sons while offering a strange fire to the Lord, we do find a principle here which cannot be avoided. The ministry of the herald, whether that be a priest or preacher of the Old or New Testament, worships God as he performs the duties God requires of him. Preaching in this way is worship. It is the vehicle that draws the minister closer to God during that hour. Preaching is not just morally edifying speech. It is not simply a pep rally to excite the listeners to a day or two of penitential service. It is taking the dominion of God and placing it within the deepest reaches of the soul of those he is ministering to. It is screwing truth into men's mind in such a way as to enthrall the heart with more of Jesus Christ. Preaching is a spiritual infection which ought to impregnate the hearer with the life of God and the life of Christ. If the preacher is intimately aware that he is doing this through the unction and temperance of the spirit of truth, he is aware that God is delighted in the work being dealt with. He knows this is nothing he has accomplished, though he spends long prayerful hours in the study, exegeting the word and seeking God for every line of the sermon. Yet, he appreciates the fact that he is simply the vessel that has been prepared to pour forth Christ into the mouth of those waiting for rivers of living water. In that instance and that act of preaching, he worships God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. His heart is poured forth, and every fiber of his being screams forth the majesty of Christ and the holiness of God as he addresses the saints. The explanation of the excellencies he is depositing into the ears of the hearers is the immediate fruit of his personal ownership of those sublime truths he is preaching forth. Preaching for the preacher is worship. It is without a doubt that worship begins sooner than that in the pulpit. It begins in the study, both in the study of the Bible and in prayer. Like pouring a soda into a glass, the carbonation fizzles and bubbles so much that it splashes a bit out of the glass. The preacher is intimately aware of this fizz while preparation is underway. But once the preacher reaches the pulpit, the fizz is electrified a million times. It explodes. He knows he is not simply his own man. He is under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, a holy fizz, so to speak. The Puritan divines would call this the unction of the Spirit. And this unction is the motioning and moving of the Spirit unto the ends for which the word is directed. Here the preacher is confident of the work he is about. He knows that the word going forth is not going to return to God void. It will accomplish all it is set to do. 
Here the preacher rests in a quiet assurance. He is backed by the promise that God is at work while he is about worship. In this he knows he is a planter. Seeds are sown in fruit will result. Yet the fruit may not be seen for weeks, maybe months, or even years. Still, the preacher rests confident in who God is and what he has promised. God is at work, and the preacher glories in that work like a vessel that is used by the hand to be lifted to the thirsty mouth. The preacher is worshipping in all of this. He is experiencing the pleasure of God upon himself as the word of God rains down upon the people. Preaching as worship also gives away something. Preachers give away what they have and what they know. Jesus told the apostles in Matthew 10:8, Freely you have received, freely give. They were to preach Christ to the peoples, the towns, and the cities. Preaching is giving. Well, what are they giving? They were giving forgiveness of sins and the power of the Lord Christ. Not that a preacher gives up what he has, but his exaltation of God in preaching by the Spirit gives the hearing soul the illumination it needs to respond to Jesus Christ, the enthroned God on high. As he is edifying the congregation of saints in preaching, he is running over onto them with doctrines, commands, rebukes, exhortations, and the like, with a joy and concern for the souls of his hearers through his own worship. He desires that they take their cup and fill it up from God, which pours forth from his own soul the Lord Jesus Christ. The ultimate end of this worship is to glorify God. As with all things, preaching is seen as that which ought to glorify God, yet specifically as God's special means of revealing himself through the Bible. Romans 10.14 makes this apparent. It says, quote, How shall they call on him whom they have not believed? The answer is through hearing the word of God in the act of preaching. And so Paul says, And how shall they hear without a preacher? Sinners are commonly converted by means of the preached word. In the act of worship, the preacher gains worshipers for the Father. He is used as the instrumental means whereby the Spirit of God will effectuate the instrumental cause of conversion in the soul of the hearer, the preached word, the word of truth. Then in Romans verse 15, quoting Isaiah 52, 7, we find the preaching already has the mindset of, quote, glad tidings and good things. It is sharing, giving away, those things to the hearers in the joy of preaching, which is his worship, with knowing all of these things about God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it shows the progression of this idea of preaching as worship, if one understands what worship really is. In verses 18 to 25, we see Paul stating that when the power of the cross is preached, it is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Greeks. Paul identifies the power of the cross as Christ crucified. That truth he knows intimately through conversion and experimentally as a preacher. He then moves from preaching Christ to the application of Christ's redemption to base and lowly things, which are those converted sinners in verses 26 to 31. Yet, in these verses we see that one of the ends of preaching is the glorification of God by debased converted sinners coming to see the gospel. Preaching Christ ultimately brings forth the fruit of glorifying the Lord by converting people. Then Paul quotes Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 in verse 31, He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. This is the very expression of worship. The preacher does this while preaching Christ, and converted sinners do this following conversion. 
One knows of the glories already and is expressing them, and the other receives the glory and is changed by the glories of God and then now expresses them thereafter in their Christian life. To summarize the idea, worship in the pulpit is exercised by those who know the saving power of Christ and express that power through the spoken word, molded by the written revelation of God in the Bible. No preacher has the market on new doctrine. New doctrine is nothing more than heresy. Preachers are really God-appointed plagiarists. The preacher, in his act of preaching, communicates the Bible, the knowledge he has gained by God to the hearers. His worship becomes their worship, because preaching is worship. This is Dr. Matthew McMahon, signing off. Good night, then, until this same time next week. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.